Hello, I'm George Cup. And I'm Callum Gurr. And you're about to listen to the podcast version of To Be Discussed with Cup and Gurr. Please note that this is a podcast, so it's not a live broadcast. So please do not try to vote in any of the polls or send in messages to any of our discussions, as your message will not be registered, but you may still be charged. Also, please note that not all of the opinions expressed in this podcast are our actual opinions, but may be expressed to create a better discussion. Anyway, enjoy the podcast and don't miss our live broadcast every Sunday on Wizard Radio Station. Good evening, this is To Be Discussed with Cup and Gurr, a show that proves that different political opinions do not have to end in feuds and the breakdown of friendships. My name is George Cup, and I'll be joined by my co-host and political opposite, Callum Gurr. Good evening, everybody. That's right, George is a hardline Brexiteer and true blue conservative, whereas I'm a Lib Dem and Ramona. But despite these different standpoints, we are still good friends. Tonight we'll be asking, is sports banter censored too much? Which of these former British Prime Ministers had the most long-term impact? And finally, is autumn your favourite time of year? With each of these discussions being accompanied by polls, which you have the chance to vote on at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. And these discussions will be open until the end of the song break between each topic. But first, last week, we asked you to send in questions that you wanted Callum and myself to answer. And as always, you guys haven't let us down and sent us in lots of questions. But let's start off with this one first, which we're all looking forward to. Um, And it's from Liam. And he says, what is the likelihood now that the UK will leave the EU on October the 31st? And do you think Brexit will ever be complete well to my brexiteer friend callum what do you think um i think it's a really good question um truthfully gonna have to have a bit of a politician's answer i think and that <laughs> i don't think anyone knows for sure whether or not we're gonna leave the eu on october 31st um i think if we were to leave the eu on october 31st it would be because we've managed to negotiate a kind of deadline day deal uh, that then means that um that gets approved by parliament approved by obviously relevant uh, eu institutions and whatnot um that means that effectively we don't have to apply for an extension i don't think it's particularly likely that um if we were approaching a no deal i um, these talks these intensive talks that boris johnson and the relevant representatives um, for the European Union are having um, about negotiating a deal. I don't think it's particularly likely if there isn't an outcome of getting a deal that we um, would end up leaving with a no deal. 
um, because I think for that to happen, it would have to be that the uh, EU refuses an extension. Uh, and I don't think that's particularly likely to happen. Um, although I do think there is a kind of attitude in European Union circles that an extension needs to have a purpose. Um, and the most likely purpose, I think, is a general election. And then it, once the parliamentary arithmetic has changed, then we'll know probably much better what is the path out of this kind of um, Brexit quagmire we're in. And, and then we'll be much more likely to answer the second part of your question, Liam, to have a kind of complete Brexit, as it were, because we'll actually have a way out. But I think that ultimately the broad answer to your question is, I'm not sure anyone really knows at this point, but I think if we are to leave on October 31st, it'll be because we've secured a deadline day deal on it. What, what do you think, George? Yeah, well, um, as ever, being the uh, Brexiteer of us two, I try and be optimistic about um, leaving the European Union. And I, I do believe that there is hopefully a deal on the horizon. I think um, the negotiations have been going on. And I think tomorrow when we hear the Queen's speech, there will be a lot of um, evidence of where the uh, progress is going on around um, the deal that is potentially coming about. And yeah, as as Callum is rightly saying, there is, uh, unfortunately, no one has a crystal ball that will be able to tell you whether we'll be leaving or not. I do think that if we leave on the 31st as well as Callum, I think it will be under a deal situation. Um, I mean, this, this idea that we could potentially be leaving under no deal, yes, the preparations are ramping up, but... Johnson is try is kind of hoping that if we get to the stage where we need to negotiate an extension, he is um, he hoping that the uh, prime minister of Hungary, I believe it is, is going to vote yeah. it down um, and say that they, he can't have an extension. And the way the system works within the European Union is for anything to get through like the extension, all 27 states have to agree to it. Um, and obviously, if one vetoes it, then it won't go through. And that is kind yeah. of what Johnson's pledging is, is best. Yeah, yeah, it just goes to show what power member states do actually have, don't it, George, within within the EU? Well, well, not really. Um, <laughs> but, but there you go. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so, I mean, it'll be interesting to see um, what happens on that. Do you think there's a, a scenario in which because um, Hungary decides they, they're not going to veto it, because obviously that would leave them, I mean, they're fairly isolated anyway with the exception of maybe poland being similar politically to them but they they they, they would be even more isolated if they were to try and veto this so, so do you think there's a there's a scenario in which uh theresa may's deal is is effectively passed by parliament put forward by boris johnson as such and that's the deal that end up ends up getting through do you think that's dead in the water now no, I, th I think the withdrawal agreement will be the agreement that comes back. It will just the political um, agreement side of it will be worded differently and there will be a different arrangement around that. That's what I believe that will happen. Um, and quickly, just to answer the will Brexit ever be complete? I think even when if we get a deal, the, the idea of Brexit being complete is probably five or 10 years down the line because there will be a very, very, very long way to go. Because as keeps we keep saying, this is just the first stages of negotiations. Yeah, yeah. Although I would say that I don't think it will be as 
um, dominant politically once the next stage has completed. I think I don't think it will dominate discourse like it is currently. So that does maybe a bit of good news. Yeah. Uh, right. So next question is from Naomi. Naomi said, "What do you think needs to happen to end the rise of the far right around the world at the moment? Will we ever get back to normality, or will it take something like another world war for people to see how dangerous far right politics is?" So a question about extremism, George. What do you think? Yeah, I think um, personally, I don't ever think we will ever get to the need for another war to to um, show everyone the the dangerousness of extreme politics um but it, but i would just quickly like to to kind of answer back in the terms that i don't think it we're just seeing the rise of far right we're also seeing the the extreme rise of the far left as well um and we, we it always kind of happens together you see the rise in the far right and and as a mirror image the, the far left always rise up and it, political spectrum of actually if you join the dots a lot of the time the political spectrum is in a circle and you'll find yourself in a position where you, a lot of far right views are actually quite similar to far left views in, in ideology kind of ways yeah. um so so i think i don't believe that we're gonna ever have a world war but i i i think politically we're just seeing countries going through changes we are possibly even misinterpreting different ideologies into saying it's extremist views I, th I think nowadays sometimes having a more nationalist view can be seen as an extremist view when sometimes i don't think it should be um so yeah i think because also opinions are changing around political views about being different i think that's maybe also why we're seeing such a rise in extremist views because we are so quick to be very pc about things but what, what do you think Callum? Yeah, I think, again, a really excellent question. Um, and I, I don't really know what needs to happen to end the rise of the far right and and to a certain extent, the far left as well. Um, I, I think probably from, from a British context, I, I think one of the, the key things that will damage far right thinking um, is when we, we see that kind of the end to, to free movement, which in itself isn't necessarily a far right view, but it, it links to the kind of more uh, extremely anti-immigration sentiments that a lot of people have. But once we see that that doesn't, that isn't the holy grail that, that you know, changes politics for good and, and gets the country back that um, a lot of um, voters are, are kind of yearning for, when they see that doesn't happen, I think then we could see the far right is less appealing. But unfortunately, we, it is a fact of life that we, or a fact of politics, really, that we'll never completely um, get rid of far right views. And, and in a sense, we're, we're better for not getting rid of them because evidently it shows that everyone has free thoughts, even if I personally think the far right people are completely wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Um, right, Callum, I want a very, very quick answer for this um, question. In 200 years, what do you think people will remember our generation for, if anything? Uh, I think we'll be remembered for being the last generation that had the chance to stop climate change before um, the effects really took hold. And whether or not that's in a, a positive thing, because we did, or negative, because we didn't, will only time will tell really what about you george i couldn't have said it better myself callum 
<laughs> I'm right. very good. <laughs> All right, let's not go too far. Um, <laughs> remember, we'll be announcing what the question will be for you to send in your opinions on at the end of tonight's show. So make sure you're ready for that, for the chance to be featured in this segment of next week's show. But it is now time for the first song break of this evening. So we'll be back. Hello and welcome back to To Be Discussed. So time to move on to our second discussion of this evening. And we're asking the question, is sports banter censored too much? So recently we've seen more controversy around football chants, with Aston Villa becoming the latest to become embroiled into a scandal around what their fans are singing. Footage was posted on social media of a small number of fans singing a song in the concourse area of Carrow Road on Saturday, um, which referenced Zimbabwe midfielder Marvellous Nakamba as having uh, large genitals and being overseen by his master, uh, fellow Villa midfielder John McGinn. The club itself issued a statement saying that they were disgusted and appalled by this toxic behaviour, which they termed racist. The racist chanting comes off the back of similar incidents involving Chelsea and West Ham fans this past year, indicating a widespread prevalence of racism within Premier League football. However, some have taken particular issue with this latest incident, which involved Villa fans bantering their own player, with some even suggesting the club's strong rebuke of the incident was political correctness gone mad. George, firstly, what do you make of this incident? And secondly, more generally, do you think sports banter as a whole is censored too heavily? Well, um, firstly, when I saw this incident um, and watched it on my phone, um, I was incredibly shocked. I couldn't actually believe what I was hearing, to be honest with you. Um, I find the language incredibly disrespectful. I thought it was uh, incredibly rude and unnecessary. Um, And I totally get that when you're with a group of friends, you say things that maybe you shouldn't say and you um, have jokes with your friends and you are maybe your character gets um, bigger, but that does not give you the right to be racist, to be sexist or anything like that. Um, So, no, I do not believe that um, sports banter is censored too much because there is banter and then there's being racist and sexist and discriminating. And there is nothing wrong with people calling out racism when it is clear racism. Just because people are having a joke doesn't mean that you can't call it out. Um, and you know, there's nothing wrong with with having a joke with a couple of friends, but it doesn't mean you have to cross the line. There is always a line in in no matter what scenario you're in and and whether you cross it or not, that is up to you. But if you do cross it, it's up to you um, to uh, accept the fact that you have um, possibly been racist or anything else. So Look, I, I I can understand maybe that, that fans are a little bit annoyed because it was just a recorded video, an amateur recorded video of, of a group of friends not realising they were being recorded. But even still, 
it doesn't give them the right to to do what they were doing um and it's right that people are calling it out um there's nothing wrong with having a bit of jokes but just know where the line is yeah yeah i i, I mean yeah i mean on this particular incident i mean I, I, i'm a villa fan myself and and i was completely appalled by it because it's just so blatantly racist this incident i think there's there's not even anything to get your head around on this i mean effectively um kind of alluding to to slavery um especially when talking about a, a black player is just completely completely inappropriate and completely racist and i am um pleased that uh, aston villa themselves have condemned this and hopefully are going to take quite a hard line on um, the people that were involved in this chanting um, when they're identified, or perhaps they already have, and um, there's a degree of um, anonymity because a lot of them were probably under the age of 18, I believe. Um, and, and I think another thing that I would say is that when talking about the, these kind of incidents, especially in football, because I, I think unfortunately football has, maybe it's because it is generally the biggest sport, certainly in, in from a UK perspective, but I think generally sport uh, football has more issues with racism and homophobia and, and all of discrimination effectively um but a lot of the time there's a general pre um trend amongst fans to say well these aren't real in this case villa fans or chelsea fans or west ham fans or whoever it might be these aren't real football fans so therefore we kind of just dismiss this and, and we say well this this isn't a, a problem really mm -hmm. because these aren't real fans but i think that's completely wrong to do that and i think we should call out the fact that these are football fans. These are Villa fans. Um, and therefore, we, we have to question why it is that um, these people think that being a football fan or being an Aston Villa fan gives them license to do these kind of things. Um, and, and once we ex accept that fact that they, they think these things, I think then we can properly start to challenge these things and say, well, absolutely not. You, it does not give you a license to do this because at the end of the day, this is some banter. This, this is racism. So, so to answer the more broad question, I, I don't think sports banter, sports banter is being censored too much because I think most of the time when people kind of as a defense say, oh, it was just banter. It's normally actually no, it's racist, it's homophobic, it's uh, sexist, and and all of these things. And if you look at most of the incidents where that's used as a defence, I think you'll find a lot of the time that it is all, all of those things that I've just said. Yeah, and do you know what? I think we should actually be quite proud of ourselves that we are actually in a position, um, and uh, football as a whole generally is in a position where we can actually recognize and call these incidents out um because years ago these incidents were just let let be and nothing was really done about them yeah um whereas today if it is heard if it is witnessed then i would say eight out of ten times the club takes it upon themselves to make sure that those people um are prosecuted for what they've done um so i i, I do believe that 
yes, these fans are saying, oh, it's wrong that the club's called it out. But I think we should be complimenting the fact that the club has called it out and actually yeah. and gone against their own fans and saying how racist it was. Um, you know, there is no place in any conversation for pure racist language in uh, referencing the slave trade and everything like that, because it is just damn right disgusting. And and yeah. I'm sorry, but if, if that is your sense of humour, then you need to have a hard look in the mirror. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and and I, I think also it's quite interesting talking about, obviously, racism in football because um, England are, are going to play Bulgaria uh, tomorrow night. And um, Tammy Abraham, who's one of um, England's players, um, has said basically that if they are racially abused by the Bulgarian fans, um, which it has happened before because they're playing by, um, in front of a partially closed stadium because of past racism that's um, taken place in Bulgaria. They've said that they're going to, basically, if the players are uncomfortable, if they're not happy, Harry Kane, who's the captain, has said that they are happy to, to just walk off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and George, do you think that is a a viable response to to racism or homophobia or anything like this, or do, or do you think they sh- should um, play on? Because I've seen there is a kind of line of thought that says, well, that is almost letting the racists win then. Yeah, I I think, because I mean, that is one of the points that I've written down myself. Um, I think that that is one way to tackle it. Take away the thing that people have come to watch and yeah. people have come to love. And, and do you know what? There is no way that the the, the, um, the English football team should have to put up with that kind of language. You know, that is their work at the end of the day. And if you went into any other work area, work office or, or whatever it may be, and you were um, receiving racist language towards you, you would walk out of there as well. So they have every right to be walking out of that. And yes, there may be fans that are upset about it. But the, the, uh, the fact of the matter is don't be racist, don't be discriminative, and they will carry on playing the game. But uh, do, do you think it's a way for, for for teams to stop this? Yeah, I think it is a, a really viable way um, because it the exposure that it will give to anti-racism effectively, um, it is absolutely massive if there is a walkout. And it really sends a really strong message i think that it's not going to be tolerated and that they will not effectively give them the pleasure of watching them play football if that's the case so uh, yeah i think it is a a viable um response to it although i do kind of see that in a sense it does let someone at racist win but they're not really winning are they when they don't get to see the thing that they want to see um how do you think this poll is going to be george just before we go to a break um I think that it, potentially people might say that it, uh, sports banter is censored too much, unfortunately. So I think it's going to be a, a 60-40 split. What, what do you think? Yeah, you've you've convinced me. I, 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 I'm not sure. I think probably 60-40 the other way, but I, I think there will be a high number of people that are saying, yes, it is censored too much, if that makes sense. Uh, Right then, time to uh, go to a song break. Remember, you've got a chance to vote on this poll. Is sports banter censored too much? You can do that at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. We'll be back very soon.
Hello and welcome back to To Be Discussed. Before the break, we ask the question, is sports banter censored too much? And you guys have been voting away. And I must say, George has been very accurate in his prediction. <laughs> uh, so uh, 58% of you said, yes, sports banter is censored too much, compared to 42% of you uh, that said, no, it isn't. I mean, George, you're pretty much spot on. I mean, you might as well pack it in now, mate, because I, know, I don't I, think I, that's ever happened. I must say, well, no, I, I seem to be getting the, the polls quite um, right quite often um, at the moment. I, I, maybe I should take a uh, career in poll guessing. Yeah, go, go on. Yeah, yeah give yeah. it a go, George. We'll, we'll see how that works out for you. Yeah. I'll, ha- I'll have a job every like four years at a general election. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure that'll pay the bills, yeah. Yeah. Never know. Or well, you know, under Conservative administration, it happens every like year. So <laughs> that is true. That is true. <laughs> anyway, let's move on to our third discussion of this evening, and we're asking the question: Which of these former British prime ministers had the most long-term impact? So over the years, we have had many different prime ministers. Some have lasted years. Some have lasted a matter of days and some have gone on to make a lasting impact to our country, even years after their premiership. I would be very impressed if anyone can name every single PM we've ever had, because I certainly can't. But there are those that will always come to mind when thinking about previous prime ministers. The interesting point of this question is that because we are asking about a long term impact, that doesn't necessarily mean a positive one. So, out of the following former Prime Ministers, which one do you think has made an impact and will never be forgotten? So, Margaret Thatcher, Clement Attlee, Winston Churchill, David Lloyd George, or Tony Blair? And obviously, as always, before we throw this poll to you guys, um, let's ask my lovely Liberal colleague, Mr Gurr. (laughs) Well, there's uh, there's only one liberal on that list, isn't there? <laughs> uh, David Lloyd George. Um, but I, I would not. I will not be making the case that uh, that he's had the most long term impact. Um, I, I think with David Lloyd George, a lot of the stuff that he done was more when um, when he was in the, the cabinet before he became prime minister. So when he was chancellor, um, was was more the impact he had. Than actually, as prime minister, he was only prime minister from 1916 to 1922. Um, I mean, during that time, he was known as the man who won the war, um, as in the First World War, um, and and he did do things like um, persuaded um, France to kind of unify their military commands with um, the British Empire, as it was then, under the French general Ferdinand Foch. Um, which obviously was uh, massively important in kind of turning around the war and eventually um, getting a victory um, for the Allied powers. And he also persuaded the Royal Navy to introduce, or I should say reintroduce, because they used to do it well back in the day when back in the first time that colonialism came around, but um, it hadn't been used in a while, but introducing a convoy system so basically having multiple military ships accompany cargo ships um, regularly to reduce losses to enemy submarines, as it was um, by that point. Uh, and that was vitally important in ensuring that 
the British trade didn't suffer too much. And, and more importantly, we've got the kind of resources um, that we needed during um, World War One. Um, so, so there is a, a slight case to be made for David Lloyd but I think ultimately um, he's not really had the most long-term impact. Um, probably he, out of all of these names here, he's the least well-known as well. But other than maybe Clement Attlee, um, although I would actually say Clement Attlee, ironically, in many ways has had the greatest long-term impact. I mean, he's introduced the building blocks of Britain's modern welfare state. So he was the prime minister that introduced the NHS, granted independence to India, who are now, you know, on on the path to being one of the, the world's great powers. Um, and he was responsible for nationalising a fifth of the British economy, including coal and steel mining industries. Um, so, so obviously he did have a massive impact as well. Um, and I think in many ways he, he would be the person I'd say had the most long term impact, because if you think about what uh, kind of untouchable institution the NHS is today. Um, and, and so that's a really a massive legacy of Clement Attlee. But I'll, um, I'll go to you, George. So um, <laughs> who do you think uh, had the most long term impact out of these? Well, I mean, do you know what? I think this is probably one of the hardest questions we've done. Um, and I feel like I could sit here and have a conversation and argue for all of these really and truly um, yeah. for about an hour. So uh, maybe one day, viewers, uh, we will, or listeners, I should say, we will do a, a special show just of an hour <laughs> asking this question. Wow, uh, wow. <laughs> sounds fun. I know, doesn't it? Just <laughs> I, as much as being a conservative, I want to sit here and draw my argument and say why Margaret Thatcher left a lasting impact to this country. I don't think I can, as such. There is no denying the things that she did for this country. Many may argue that things that she did was for the worst um but either way she made an impact on this country yeah. um one of the biggest things that i feel was such a a fantastic policy she brought in was the development of um buying your own homes through, through council properties um and and her determination as a as a woman in politics and i think her impact in proving that women are just as capable as men in any field. Yeah. Um, and then we move on to Winston Churchill. And Winston Churchill, for me, you could argue that without him and his leadership around World War II, we might not be the country that we are today. We might be speak. We could have been speaking German right now. Um, he yeah. defended the rights of liberal democracy. Policy-wise, he didn't introduce that much around. Um, I think he introduced uh, an act around, I think it was children or something like that. Around No, the Education Act, where children had to stay at school um, until I think it was 14. Um, but again, he his, the way he ran the country in, during World War II was decisive. And we have a lot to thank for him. And the yeah. impact he created was humongous. Um Tony Blair as well. He, we still haven't seen potentially the full impact of of his premiership, but yeah, you can argue the bad side of his premiership was that the Labour government left this country in severe debt, and as such, we've had to take um, precautions because of that, and we are still um, 
just now slowly getting out of that. But at the same time, he was the person that introduced uh, minimum wage. He put a lot of money into our education system, into our NHS. Um, and at the time, the social developments that he brought were amazing. And he, because of that, the impact that he created on this country were enormous. Yeah. I, however, saying all of that, I think my biggest backing has to go um, to Clement Attlee. I think a lot of the things that he did have made a massive impact on this country. And, and as Callum has rightly said, around the NHS, around the social care system in this country, he was really and truly the person that put the building blocks in place to allow us to reap the rewards of the NHS that it is today. Um, yes, there were areas of questionable actions that he did around nationalisation. I mean, he nationalised a fifth of the British economy. But at the same time, he was under his premiership. He granted the uh, independent for India and many other um, empire states that we had at the time. So for me, and I can't believe I'm backing a Labour person, a <laughs> Labour prime minister. But I, I do think if we're going to look at the impact that it's had on us today, it, I would have to say Clement Attlee. But in a very, very close second place, I would then say Winston Churchill. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously... With Winston Churchill, there's the massive thing of without him, all but one of these people maybe would never have been prime minister because he may not have had a democracy. So so I think there is a massive case to make for Winston Churchill. And I suspect that's probably where the listeners will go. Um, but on kind of obviously Clement Attlee, as you said, had massive impact. But I, I would say that with Tony Blair, one other massive impact that he has had long term is in devolution. And now it seems absolutely bonkers to not have a Scottish Parliament, to not have a Welsh Assembly, to not um, have a, a regional assembly or, or a national assembly rather in in Northern Ireland. And, and that is a real legacy of Tony Blair. And also even Margaret Thatcher had, has had a massive long term impact upon everyone who has succeeded her. Um, and I think the Thatcherite notion of of competition and, and private enterprise or, or, or private businesses being the real kind of backbone of, of what policies should be really um, shines through really in all of her predecessors, even Tony Blair. Um, a lot of the privatisation agenda that he'd done was a very Thatcherite policy. So yeah. I, th I think, you know, as you say, George, you could make a case for all of them. Yeah, and also I, I quickly want to point out the the development that Margaret Thatcher and also Tony Blair did around the Good Friday Agreement, um, and making yeah. sure that peace came into Northern Ireland and in this country as well. Um, without them two, with the agreements that took place, that who knows what could have happened in terms of the IRA and and everything around that. Um, and yeah, you rightly say, Callum, there, there is a case to be made for every single one of these. And I'm so interested to see what this poll is going to be. But um, one last question to you, Callum. Who is the person that's going to come out on top? I think Winston Churchill will because of that real argument of without him, most of those other people wouldn't be PM. Um, what do you think? I yeah, I, I'm going to have to agree with you. I do believe Winston Churchill. Um, and then I'm going to say a second place for Clement Attlee. Yeah, yeah, I think I'd agree with that. Yeah. So remember, everybody, um, you can vote on this question. Which of these former British PMs had the most long-term impacts? And the options are Margaret Thatcher, Clement Attlee, 
Winston Churchill, David Lloyd George, or Tony Blair. And you can do that on wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. And we'll be back before you know it. Hello and welcome back. So, before that break, we asked the question, which of these former British PMs had the the most long-term impact? And you guys have been voting away and the results have just come in and they are as fascinating as I thought they would be. So, Margaret Thatcher got 13%, Clement Attlee got 33%, Winston Churchill got 34%, David Lloyd George got 9% and Tony Blair got 11%. Well, Callum... Are you surprised by them? No, not at all. I mean, that is, as, as as we were saying before we went to the break, that was kind of the prediction broadly um, that we had. Um, and, and I think um, I'm not surprised that Margaret Thatcher's come third in that as well, because I, I think, you know, as I said, she has had a massive impact um, on her predecessor or on her successor, rather, or, mm. or I mean- one removed successor, Tony Blair. Yeah. Um, the the one thing I would say about the results is I'm surprised how big Churchill and Attlee are and how small a percentage Thatcher, Tony um, and Lloyd George are. Yeah, yeah. And I, I suppose the only slight surprise as well I have is that Tony Blair um, got more than David Lloyd George just because of how recent Tony Blair was and, and what a toxic figure he, he is to many, many people. Well. Yes, yes. We'll we'll see if that changes over time. Um, right then, time to move on to our final discussion of this evening. And we are asking, is autumn your favourite time of year? So summer has come and passed and autumn is here. Famous for pumpkin spice lattes, red or orange, crunchy leaves and Halloween. For many, this is the most wonderful time of the year. For others, not so much. George is autumn your favourite season, or do you agree with the kinks when they say tea and toasted buttered currant buns can't compensate for lack of sun? Well, I must say I do agree with the kinks. I am a summer baby, and <laughs> I, uh, summer is definitely my favourite time of year. As much as I do admire the beauty that comes into autumn, and, I, and there is no other scene than seeing all the gorgeous orange red yellow leaves that are on trees and the yeah the ability to come in put the log fire on and actually cuddle up and watch a film um that is 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 lovely but to me it doesn't be being able to go down the beach have a swim in the sea relax play out play outside i'm not five anymore but <laughs> play outside and also i can put the roof down on my car whereas in the winter it's freezing in my car um or even autumn. So no, for me, autumn isn't my favourite time of year. But at the same time, it does create my favourite soup, which is pumpkin soup. Um, so I will never say no to that. But thanks, Callum. But <laughs> what, <laughs> what is uh, is autumn your favourite time of year, year Mister Gurr? I just enjoyed the uh, the really subtle way George just told you guys that he's got a convertible car. Uh, it was really, really <laughs> subtle how he done that um <laughs> no um autumn is not my favorite time of year i can see the the benefits of it i do enjoy the fact that in comparison to the summer you can actually get to sleep in the autumn because it's 
it's it's nice and chilly um in the evening which is, is so much easier to sleep in than when it's boiling hot uh, i mean that's just that's the big downside to summer how hot it is when you're not in the sea or or sipping a nice cold drink or, or something like that but i think broadly um summer's actually my second favorite season my my favorite season uh-huh. is spring just because it, it's normally a bit hotter than what it is in the autumn but it's not too hot that it's you know that you're walking around and sweating loads and and stuff like that and so i think spring is probably my my favorite season based upon that although i do see that obviously autumn's got a lot of really good um traditions buried in there i mean obviously halloween is a, is yeah. a massive one but also i think in the states thanksgiving falls during autumn as well so obviously there's 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 some perks to autumn for sure I would just quickly like to uh, give a little personal fact to everyone about Callum. Um, And and Callum is, uh, this personal fact is that the fact that Callum is literally the, um, feels the heat when nobody else feels the heat. If you go into his room, I think no matter what time of year, he will have like just a bed cover, no duvet, (laughs) he'll have five fans on and every window open in the house. And, you know, you'll be, I'll be in there in like a scarf, gloves, woolly hat. (laughs) And he's walking around in in shorts and no t-shirt on. <laughs> I have got my fan on at the moment. To be See, fair. there you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right then, um, on that bombshell, uh, uh, we've reached time for a song break. But don't forget to vote on this poll. Is autumn your favourite time of the year? You can do that at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. And we'll be back very soon. Welcome back. So before the break, we asked the question, is your is autumn your favourite time of year? And 39% of you said, yes, it is, uh, compared to 61% of you that said, no, it isn't. George, are you surprised by that result at all? Um, no, I think that's actually the result I was kind of expecting. Um, I, obviously, there are those that do love autumn, but I think the majority don't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and also it's going up against three other seasons. I mean, this season's not got a chance, has it? Oh, maybe that's what we should have done as our multi pole option. <laughs> Exhilarating stuff, that would have been. <laughs> uh, right then, uh, we reached the time to end this evening's show. So thanks very much for listening to To Be Discussed with Cup and Gert. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. So as mentioned earlier, for the first segment of next week's show, we'd uh, like to hear from you. Um, and the question we'd like to hear from you about is do you believe in life after death and you can do that by sending us an email to station at wizardradio.co.uk or through twitter that's at wizradio so remember the question is do you believe in life after death a nice happy topic for everyone um, <laughs> so and we're really looking forward to hearing your opinions next week but it is now time for Callum and I to be leaving so as always I've been the pumpkin soup loving George Lawrence Cup and I've been the spring loving Callum Gert thanks very much for listening everyone we'll be back next week for another episode of To Be Discussed goodbye guys ciao for now <laughs> <laughs>